Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And I am really thrilled to have Chris Wakeley with me. Now, Chris and I go back a long time, uh, orienteering and various things in the army. He had a very successful military career, began as a, a Remy uh, aircraft engineer, and then got commissioned, they realized he was very talented, into the Royal Signals. Had an amazing career in the Royal Signals from even as a troop commander, he was winning competitions against the infantry. Uh, went on to become CEO of 2nd Divisional Signal Regiment and worked in the permanent joint headquarters, but then realized it was time to reinvent himself, not change his leadership style, which is still very inspiring, which is why he's on this series, but to actually go into a completely new world. Um, he went into set up his own business, Boxwood, a management consultancy firm, and became a really very successful leader of a, of a management consultancy business, so successful that KPMG bought it and then made him a partner. And now you're running tech startup. So Chris, welcome. It's great to have you on the series. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Tell us a bit about your latest, um, your latest venture. Ah, well, the, uh, the latest thing is uh, a combination of management consulting uh, together with this transformative power of data science. Yeah. So we're building, uh, in some respects, uh, some of the team have got uh, the same DNA of the previous firm, but then there's a whole new strand to it around extremely capable technologists and data scientists. And it's fascinating. Mm. And it's also fascinating the kind of results you can get from combining those two things. So um, really enjoying it. Uh, lots of fun, fantastic people. Yeah. And um, we were talking about a number of people who inspired you uh, from, from being a young private soldier or a Remy uh, technician all the way up. To uh, throughout your career, who, who would you who would you give if you can choose two who are inspirational? What were their qualities that that you admired? Yeah, um, well, I'll, I'll I'll I I I can name a couple of people, uh, and and it will do in a moment. But I think what I would say is that uh, I've been very fortunate to see uh, some great leaders along the way, both in the military and in industry. Um, I, I think probably like like you and others who have also seen some people who are a lot less inspiring. And I think that, that, that sort of contrast does bring home to you, you know, how good certain people are. Um, uh, I guess back in my military days, I have um, very fond memories. Now, it's probably partly to do with the fact that my first uh, troop commander job after Sandhurst uh, was in an infantry brigade. And I have very fond memories of working for a chap called um, Tony Raper. Mm. who uh, a number of people will know. And um, he had uh, an interesting reputation, and I think some people thought he, 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 he was quite a fearsome, and he certainly was a very fearsome intellect. But my whole recollection of that was, I guess, how much time and effort he put into me. Mm. You know, I think I um, always worked really hard and always tried to do of my best, but I think 
he took a lot of uh, time and care and helped me. And I think uh, we still see each other today and mm. I'm pleased about that. And I've learned, you know, learned a great deal as part of that experience. Um, I was also in the military, uh, you know, career, pretty fortunate to work for. I worked for a great chap called Bill Backhouse, who was a oh, yes, Royal Signals guy, was fantastic. And, you also uh, had Tim Evans in your platoon when you were I, a, I, I, cadet. I, yeah, uh, w- way back in the day, and it was yeah. great to see Tim on it the other day. And of course, any conversation with Bill Backhouse in his office always took place with him holding a rugby ball, which which uh, I wasn't entirely sure we could have got a decision unless he had the ball <laughs> in his hands. But uh, Bill, if you're listening and you see this, it was, it was fantastic stuff. But I also had a, a really great time. I worked for um, General John Kisley. Oh yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm reading one of his books on Norway at the moment, which is quite interesting. Really? And he was uh, very inspirational for me. Yeah. In Scots Guards. So yeah. I served with him. Yeah. No, a really good, um, you know, good time. And I worked for Andrew Ridgeway, who I also really, you know, enjoyed the uh, what experience. Did, what did Kisley particularly? What what qualities did you admire in him? Um, well, again, I think uh, it's interesting because I think everybody. Um, I think for those of you, this is a little bit of an in in point to make but those of you in the Royal Signals would appreciate that you know working in the brigade commander close to the brigade commander could actually be quite a difficult thing to do uh, you know it's quite a demanding place to be and quite rightly so but I think what I found is that um, you know John John Kisley always took a lot of interest in the signal squadron I think took a fair amount of interest in me mm. Um, and, and, and I think that the quid pro quo was, we, you know, we were very engaged with him. I think you learn a lot. You know, I felt very included uh, yeah. uh, as, as part of my time. And, and the whole thing was very educational. So, yeah. you know, all in all, it was just fantastic. Great. And um, then also interested, uh, we discussed before, uh, you know, the humility of being good at what you do, but yet learning from your own personal mistakes. What, what would be a story you'd tell of when you got it wrong, completely wrong, and what you learned from it, which shaped you to be a better leader going forward? Yeah, um, well, no doubt, um, quite a few mistakes along the way. Um, I was going to say nothing particularly springs to mind from my military days, but I think it's because it's now such a while ago. Uh, so it's probably a, a failing of memory because there certainly were mistakes were made and I think probably counselling was given. Um, but uh, more recently, what I have found is I've, I've often tried to second guess things in clients or second guess uh, which of our people and teams will fit together with with clients and and in so doing i think i've disenfranchised a few people and actually i've, I've turned out to be wrong yeah yeah uh, and i think it's because um you know you you have a view about uh, you know what's involved and how something might be do and what might work and what might not but it's interesting people are complex and they deploy a variety of skills to achieve things and so mm. You know, sometimes I've thought that's just not going to work and it's worked perfectly. And actually in the process of me trying to sort of force a certain solution, you know, you've um, lost a bit of capital with, with your own people. So yeah. that's something that does stick in my mind and, okay. and, it's, and it's one of the things that uh, I'm determined not to not to do again. As you carry on. Yeah. And finally, uh, just a last little short top tip on yeah. leadership. What would be your, your just one top tip at this stage? We'll talk more. Yeah. So my, my top tip, I think, for leaders is you, you get the people you deserve. And, and I've mentioned this to you before, Johnny, and I think um, there's a shortage of really great people. 
And if you look in the leadership environment, there's such big changes ahead. And if you look at what's coming on, whether it's environmentally, people now thinking beyond shareholder value, there's such enormous changes coming in business. So you need the best people. You get the people deserve you deserve. That's about the leadership climate that you create and the way you lead and build your organisation. And, and I think it's really important because great people in short supply, they don't really need you. There are many, many jobs for them to go to. And I think uh, you forget that at your peril. Yeah, that's really great advice. Chris, as always, fantastic being no, with you. Good to see you. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. Thank you. And I know people will enjoy listening to this and also the podcast. Thank you. Okay, brilliant. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to the Inspiring Leadership Extra session, which I've got with my good friend, Chris Wakeley, who has some, I find, fascinating insights on leadership and has been a leader at all levels throughout his life. So Chris, over to you. What, what do you think is interesting at the moment in the whole world of leadership? And Well, I think, uh, I think it's the nature of the changes that, that, that are out there. And, 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 and I think it's a time of great change. And I'm sure if you look back in history, it'd be loads of people will have said that and loads of people will say that again in the future. But I, but I kind of think it's a really serious inflection point between uh, you know, the impacts of globalization, real shifting in the world order economically, um, environmental considerations absolutely at the forefront. Uh, you know, recently, businesses talking much more about beyond shareholder return to mm. much more things. And, um, and, and, and so for me, I think that there are enormous changes out there and then you've got automation and, and it goes on and on and on. And probably, and it's, it, it's not, you know, I, I think you, you have to decide whether you believe the climate debate or not. Uh, and and, and, and I, I kind of do believe the climate do, yeah, debate. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, whether we left it too late or not, I'll leave to those who are much better informed than me. But one would suggest that we have left it quite late. And so because of that, um, our room to manoeuvre is less. And so to me, we've got all of these things to reconcile, uh, probably in a shorter time window. So I think if you bring it all together, it's a really complex environment. And I think it's going to demand some, you know, really special leadership. Yeah. And, and, and what would be, if you look at what you're doing now, so you've got this um, using data science and you're using consulting to advise people, what do you think is exciting about that as, as a leaders, you know, from the leadership point of view? Well, I, I, I think the combination of, you know, um, high-end thinking in how you design businesses and how you think about the, the, the needs of customers, et cetera, uh, together with the use of data to make improved and better decisions and get insights that you wouldn't have been able to get before. I think it does allow you to, to change businesses, to make them much more effective, to make them you know, uh, run more frugally. Uh, one might argue to, to, to make them able to exist in a, in, a, in a market where there's consistent downward pressure. So to me, that gives fantastic opportunities for the delivery of certain services. Mm. There's enormous benefits will come through into health. There should be enormous environmental benefits because um, we should be able to do things, as I say, in a much leaner way. So I think all of this has got great potential for adapting and changing our economy. I, I then still think, though, there are some really complex trade-off decisions for us all to make 
about how we live our lives. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it, it won't surprise you. It's interesting to watch the, the, the government and Flybe and, and those yeah. who, who commented, you know. Why after, are they saving them and not after, saving somebody else? Afterwards, you know, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting thing. Um, I, I actually probably think that judicious intervention that gives businesses time to evolve and change things is probably not a bad idea when you think yeah. about job-related consequences and mm. you know connectivity of the country. But 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 I mean ultimately we are we are going to have to rethink you know how we run our lives if you take the climate you know targets seriously. Yeah. So so this can put enormous pressure on businesses and enormous pressure on um, you, you know people. Um, I actually think that, you know, people are up for being led. They're, mm-hmm. they're up for hearing the arguments. Um, you know, whether there's enough of the right leaders around, uh, uh, who knows right now. But I think, as history has taught us, people do come through. Yeah. And, and you, who've always been fascinated in the study of and practice of leadership, have surrounded yourself with good people. You were talking about this earlier. You know, you don't underestimate that you have to get the best working with you. What have what have you seen when people have pulled a good team together? What were the ingredients that made, you know, a really good executive or a good senior leadership team? And and what should they watch out for when you got a bad one? Yeah. Um, well, I um, what I liked uh, particularly about my my last business, and I think the same is being created in this business. We were naturally diverse. We we weren't forced in any way um, because. You know, if I'm really honest, and anybody who listens to this who knows me knows that I don't like that because I think it's contrived. But I think that, you know, if you're open-minded in your recruiting, you, you will end up with gender diversity, you will end up with different people, you will end up with different ethnicity, God, we're in London. Mm. And, and consequently, you will end up with, you know, rich, diverse thinking and talents. Mm. So the question is, how do you lead it? Mm. And to me, I think this is about creating the environment where people can really flourish. Yeah. And, and that's about an open environment. And that's about an environment where people can be successful. And, 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 and I think I've learned, actually, an awful lot about this since I left the military. Because, of course, when, when I was in the military, it wasn't that diverse. There wasn't that much of a gender. You know, in our organisation, yeah. yeah. there was, Johnny. But it was not such a great gender diversity. So I think I've learned an awful lot about that and about the power of those those teams and um, and that's the fun of it but you have to set aside the time you have to invest in people you have to understand where they're coming from you know you have to make sure that when something gets said that you actually get behind it to the meaning because mm. sometimes you you might get for example you know somebody who's very rational or analytical or a technologist you might say something in a certain way and you think that's a bit naive or it's not this or it's not that. They might think the same of you, mm. but, but actually just get behind what people are really saying. And that's about investing in people and, and building that environment and then realising that potential. Uh, and <coughs> that completely makes sense. And, and what have you seen work well when either you've had a bad apple in a team or the team's going a bit toxic or you've been consulting and advising to teams which are unhealthy because probably 
often it's one or two people or maybe even the leader itself. Yeah. What, what have you done with those situations? Well, I've seen a variety of, of things, actually. Um, and I've seen where, where um, you know, people believe it's the responsibility of the person leading to actually make a decision about that person. But where I think it works best is where teams are what I call self-regulating, when they're all taking responsibility. That's good, yeah. And um, been working with a CEO recently of a very large, large business, and, and they're doing something called introducing this freedom within a framework. And, and it's not an uncommon thing to do. And if, if we go back to our military days, this is kind of about mission analysis, uh, sorry, uh, mission command yeah. personified. Um, but actually what they're doing is taking an organization that's, that's led and run in a certain way and, and, and allowing it to transition to another way. And they're putting a lot of care and effort into it. And the, the CEO is, in my mind, uh, you know, doing a, a really outstanding job and breathing new life mm. into that leadership team. And yes, there's been changes and, and, and I'm sure they needed to be and, and he's a good judge of that. But the whole idea about freeing the organisation up to think for itself a bit, but within a framework so that things don't go, you know, completely mm. awry, but allowing and, people and I, latitude is really interesting. It is, it is. And I, and I love your idea, not your idea, your practice of not just leaving it to the CEO to call out when things are going on, because I'm a great believer. I, I like uh, Margaret Heffernan's book, um, Willful Blindness, and this idea that if you're not challenging unorthodox, not unorthodox, um, you're not ch challenging people who are lacking integrity and doing dishonest things, then you're a bystander to it and you're actually condoning it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I have seen, as you've said, teams where they're waiting for the CEO, him or her, to fire someone, but they all know that person's not good enough. Well, I, I remember a lovely one where someone says, look, if you're not embarrassed, I, I did this with a, a guy, a fellow managing director, I said, if you're not embarrassed about your performance, I'm embarrassed for you. What are you going to do about it? You know, it's your responsibility. And, you know, you need to go and find your happiness somewhere else. And, and I think a team needs to almost eject a, a bad apple from it rather than just leaving it up to the CEO to try and work it out. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that, that's, to me, is a sign of maturity in a, you know, in a team. And that's a sign of creating a different leadership environment. And, you know, there are really good teams who do that. There mm. are... Cases and there's been loads in the paper. Whether it's um, you know some of our big corporations to through to some of our big accounting organisations to some of our big businesses, where as you said there, people know things aren't right with an individual mm. or something. Oh yeah. But it's allowed to go ahead on the grounds of you know they generate a lot of money or something. Oh yeah, that's the classic and, one. And of course, it's really, there are rainmakers, so we'll, really, we'll really, ignore their really bad behaviour. And I think. Um, you know, and I, 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 I think whenever I see anything like that, generally people already know and you wonder why they haven't done something about yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's very good. But it takes energy. It takes emotional energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and the other thing as well is I think, um, you know, leading, leading a business, uh, particularly at this time of great change, is hugely demanding. And I think sometimes people... Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're running low on the emotional energy they are. to keep driving things through. And I think having a break, no bad thing. Yeah. Uh, we're actually thinking about having a break. Um, one of the things that I'm talking about at Goldsmith's company on the uh, coming up is about um, 
resilience and sleep and you know recovery that's so important when you get your seven hours plus sleep from your lessons on health and well-being what would you what would you draw out of some leadership lessons i mean you keep yourself in good shape and you keep very fit you're what how old are you now 50 uh, uh yeah that, that, 50 something that's very kind someone obviously paid you to say that johnny i'm uh coming up to 62 oh wow you don't bloody look it you really yeah. don't yeah no so i think you um you know you need to get exercise uh, what's your regime what do you tend to do uh well i walk as much as i can when i'm in the city yeah um and, and i walk at home i run at home i've got a gym at home uh, and i swim yeah great um i don't do as, as much as i used to do for very obvious reasons but i do a fair bit yeah i think the other really good thing is you know go for a walk and leave your phone behind yes uh, because i think allowing your brain to shut down yeah is is really important and i think you often have this interference from somewhere there's else so much going on somebody else is thinking yeah and then i think you do need to get enough sleep yeah um, what about diet? What do you do for diet? What do you feed Yeah, I think up? I'm reasonably uh, reasonably good on, on my diet. You know, lots of dietary advice. I mean, I uh, what's interesting is I'm spending a bit more time at home these days, and that's actually good for me because I think my my you know my wife is a, a great cook and, and and b we eat very sensibly. Yeah. Um, so so I think that, that 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 does make a difference. I think you've just got to you know. Be careful what you're what you're yeah. eating. There's plenty could you go? Of could you go a month without alcohol? Would you miss it? Um, I I could easily do it. I'm I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Because I think it's. Uh, but just knowing that you could do it is yeah. always the important I, thing. I also think it's one of those um, being with people. There's a big thing when we were in our first business, and and again in the second business, um, spending time together that's not in a structured meeting, and and you know uh, we're social animals, aren't we? And I yeah. think. You know, having dinner together, having ha- having friends around, and he's like, I think it's really good for you. I think it's about it you know, being sensible. Yeah, I think it is. Now you've got a lot of top tips. What other tips would you wish to share with people as they're listening? Well, well I said to you on that first first part of the video is you 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 kind of get the people you deserve, and I think that's that's really you know um, for me is is one of those top tips. The other thing about working hard to create the climate, the leadership climate. And uh, because that will free the organisation up to think for itself. Yeah. You get a lot more ideas, you get a lot more energy, you get a lot more engagement. And, and oh, so- stay, with the, stay with that one because I really, I really like that one. And it's something personally I try and uh, do with organisations as well. Um, I was very influenced by the work of Nancy Klein, Time to Think, which is a great book and More Time to Think. Uh, and really recommend that to people. And, and in it, you sort of create an environment where you get innovation and creativity because everybody has their turn and no one can assault the thinking of the other people. When they're talking, that's their turn. And you know the discipline of letting them speak. And I find you get the quietest, most introverted people speak up. Everybody goes, oh my God, well, they don't normally say something. And that's a really good idea. And why haven't we heard that? Before? Because you've had the same people talking over. Yeah, and I, and I think... Um that um, and we, we we talked earlier about um, you know th- things where where you made mistakes is sometimes with the pressure of a situation um, I haven't done that uh, as, as well as I should mm. and that's something I'm desperately keen to you know to get better at but you're absolutely right great ideas will come from wherever they come mm. uh, and they, they they won't be the um, you know, solely coming from those who are theoretically in a, in a hierarchical leadership position. 
And I think that's about having good open dialogue with your people. And, and, and I think this, this is the difference between what you say and what you do. Mm. Because I think that people can espouse all sorts of things, but actually, what's it actually like day to day in an organisation? And I think if people feel safe to comment or to disagree or to add something in, then I think that um, then then that's because you know you are living it as well as saying it. And I think yeah. that's really important because I've been in too many corporate meetings where you know things are being said, people don't really agree with it but no one's going to say anything. Yeah. And it's a shame. It, it, it's a great shame. And you've seen many meetings with partners, CEOs and the likes where the, the lead person, the, the hippo, as they call it, the, the uh, highest paid person's opinion is the one that everybody hangs <coughs> on. So the hippo goes first and everybody else agrees. Uh, or the hippo talks over people and, it, and, and they dominate. Why? What is it that drives these people to, to carry on holding airtime when actually they're learning nothing new because they're just regurgitating what they already know? Why, why don't they listen to others? What, what do you think is going on? Um, well, I think just to balance that slightly, I have seen some great people in, in action in boardrooms and in consulting setups and everything where where people really are listening. So, so I wouldn't want anyone who listens to this to think it's all doom and gloom. No, it's not. That's fair. But, That's but fair. I do think that sometimes, and whether it's pressure or, or, or people actually not understanding that you don't have to have all the answers yourself. Very uh, that, true. That, Very true. That you know, people will want to you know have the, have the first, the last, and probably most of the words in in, in between about something, and I've. Also been in some things where we're going down a road, <coughs> you know, it's fairly shocking and isn't going to get the right answer. So, uh, and I think some of that is insecurity. Well, interesting listening to, um, I think it was Sean Acor who does some very good stuff about positive psychology. Uh, and he talked about the power lead. And it's not back to our, our engineering days, the power lead for the vehicle. It's the fact that if your point is a really good one, and you lead powerfully at the beginning of a, of a debate about it, most people ultimately will come back to that point. Mm. So there's something to be said about going first. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've often hung back, because I know I tend to go first, I've hung back to being the last person to speak. But it, it, it's turned out that often the first person, people eventually come around to yeah. that point of view. Interesting bit of yeah. psychology. Yeah, I think if, you, if you're faced with something that's... Um, you know, a bit unusual or requires some problem solving. I think if if you understand with everybody what you're trying to achieve and then with that group of people you appreciate, you know, all of the considerations and factors and perspectives before you start to get to the solution, mm. then I think you get a better answer. Yeah, it's back to, I suppose, the, the military yeah. discipline of having a, yeah. an appreciation mm. of a situation. But yeah. I, I think, and I was probably one of those, I wasn't smart enough at the time to fully understand the appreciation and rather went through it in a rote way and found it I was struggling a bit rather than seeing it was a bit of a guide for wise men rather than blind yeah. adherence. Yeah, and, and there's different types of, you know, again, this is, you know, to whoever listens to this, this there, are, um, there are different types of problems. There are different types of decisions. And some can be made quickly and intuitively and need to be in an operational setting. 
some are very strategic. And when I say in an operational setting, that's that's not just a military setting. There's so many operational things go on in society where quick decisions have to be made. Experience plays a big part. Intuition plays a big part. But then there are, you know, big strategic choices mm. that, that need to be evaluated. Now, of course, because of the way um, the world changes so so quickly, I think, you know, um, sitting here thinking that you're going to have a strategy that's looking out beyond three years uh, in most businesses, not in all, um, yeah, you, you know, um, looking beyond that, I think, is, is, is quite an interesting thing to try and do and actually... You know, it's not too fruitful to go into too much detail. So, so you know, I but have something that yeah, you could at yeah, least adapt. To. Yeah, yeah. Because people can tend to get so short term, yeah. particularly in the capitalist system we have at the moment. It's it's very well, very well, short term. Well, what was really interesting, Johnny? I, I was on a panel. Uh, I think it was at the Science Museum or something. I was on a panel where we had the guy who was running Google in the UK at some stage. Mm. Um, I think it was a CEO of a cinema group of businesses, a tech business, and myself. People were the the kind of um, the the big theme of the evening was, you know, do these entrepreneurial tech startups, these West Coast businesses, make better decisions than than we all do? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and I think the truth of the matter is, or, or sorry, the point of view that I tried to put across was that. Um, Different businesses face these different decisions. You know, if you're going to make an enormous capital expenditure in a certain type of business, you're going to make that decision in a certain way. If you're spinning on a sixpence developing something, you're going to make that decision in a different way. And so it, this isn't a one-size-fits-all, yeah. bit like leading isn't. You know, there are different situations and different settings. And I think, and this is, comes back to the importance of team, open communications, diversity of thought, because things are complicated. Yeah, very, very complicated. What would be your, your next uh, bit of wisdom that you'd, you'd share um, from, from bitter experience yeah. or, or well-led well wis experience? Wisdom, wisdom might be too strong. I put down here, be rigorous, not ruthless. Yeah. And I think when you're, it is a demanding environment and um, you know, I think businesses are fairly fine-tuned already and the errors for margin are a lot less these days. Um, you know, literally because of, um, you know, the competitive environment. Um, so, so I think when you're working with people, I think you do need to be really rigorous about who you select, how you work and the output you get from them. Yeah. But you don't need to be ruthless. And so, you know, uh, to me, uh, ruthlessness has got kind of no place. Really. And what would you give as examples of ruthlessness? Well, just the way uh, I think there's some really overbearing ways of working with some terrible consequences for people if things aren't done. You know, I think there's a there's a whole human side to this. You just don't have to be sort of culture of fear. Yeah, which so, I which I had with one of the bosses <clears throat> that that I worked, who's quite prestigious, sort of high ranking yeah. individual, and yeah. he would he would savage people. He would yeah. just shred them, tear them apart, humiliate them shout at people from sort of 200 yards away because they hadn't saluted him, things like this. And I, I just don't think that didn't inspire me. Yeah. He got results, but it wasn't inspirational. Yeah. And so I think that's that's it. It doesn't inspire you. It doesn't engage people. It doesn't get the best from them. And, and um, you know, there are people who, you know, I think do rule with a degree of, of fear, but but actually it's really counterproductive. And I think, I think everybody knows mm. that. 
but you just don't let it happen. The one I was going to point out was the emotional and social intelligence, because, you know, you, you and I come across some very bright individuals, high IQ, but <clears throat> underdeveloped EQ. Have you found that, that the people that you've worked with and you've consulted and advised to, you've been able to help them, you and your teams have been able to help them develop their emotional and social intelligence so they can read others better, or do you find they're pretty much stuck with what they've got? Um, no, I think, I think you, um, you, you, you can always learn. Yeah. And, and I think people who are open-minded do. Yeah. I, I think as well, though, is that um, I think, particularly in the consulting setting, you, uh, we, we always say to ourselves, it's really, it's, it's really it's one of my kind of internal tests for a recommendation to a client is, if you were in charge, would you do it yourself? You know, and I've heard some things sometimes where people will say, oh, we should do X, Y, and Z. And you think, if you were running that business, would you do it? They say, well, no, it's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? It's quite right, it is, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think there can be times when when uh, people are under enormous pressure and they actually can't take anything more on. And I think you need to find a way to land your messages, you know, differently. I think most people I know are probably got more EQ than you give them credit for. It's mm. just that other things get in the way. Yeah. Some of that is their perception of how they should be as a leader, but 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 some of it is just real life day to day, you know, pressures from business through family to yeah. everything else that goes on. Which so which, just, which leads us nicely onto the resilience. Yeah. Because you know whether it be you training for a military competition or you know or interning or whatever. You know, you're going to have some setbacks and disappointments. You're going to get lost. You have to retrace your steps to where you last knew where you were on the map and then start off again. Um, how, how have you developed resilience? Because it's a big part of your yeah. life. You've had setbacks and disappointments. You've had health challenges and come bouncing back. What, what have you learned about resilience and, and what have you seen in resilient people? I don't mean just blindly carrying on. Um, like I, um, one of the people my wife interviewed for her book, Inspiring Women Leaders, was uh, a mountain guide and a short little five foot two woman who her pack was bigger than her, but she was one of the female mountain guides in the Alps. And she said, goals are really important. You know, having a goal, we, we're, we're teleological humans. We, we want to go for a goal. But being obsessed about a goal, that's dangerous, particularly in the mountains. And you're, you're a man who's been to the mountains yourself and Norway and the like. And she said she's known people who've passed her by when she's turned her, her client back from going from the summit of Mont Blanc or one of the other mountains. And they've gone on and died because they've been so obsessed with achieving the goal without checking what is sensible. What's, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I was just scribbling as, as you were speaking. So to me, one of the things is about, um, you know, having... Having, I think, a a, um, a life that you're comfortable with and that's quite rich with, whether it's families, friends, interesting, etc. So it's almost like a notion of being quite whole, because I think that actually means you're probably in in balance more. Uh, and I'm and I'm sure people will have studied this and, and would would explain that in a much better way. So there's something about about so that the whole the whole yeah. So, Chris, we were talking about um, you know, goal obsession and, and balancing that out. What, what's your experience on that? Yeah, well, I, and, and I think about resilience as well. Um, 
and and actually, I, I I wrote down three three things when 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 you were talking. One of them was was family. I wrote. Then I also wrote about perspective, and then I also wrote about don't get broken. And and I think so. So, so certainly from my point of view, I think um, families, friends, doing interesting things. You know, having having a life that's that's reasonably you know, whole. And I think it's, it's easy to say, by the way, and for some people it's very hard to access. So I don't want anybody to think, you know, I think it's, we're quite privileged to be in that position, but I think all of that, you know, helps you to be, be grounded and, and in a good position to actually, you know, make the right, right decisions about things, but also to keep perspective. And, um, uh, I was reminded about when um, we, in our first business, we had an office that was um, across the road from an investment bank. Yeah. And um, I remember uh, you go over there in the morning and it's just buzzing with, with fantastic young people doing a great job, doing loads of deals, making tons of money. And you'd have to queue for your coffee. And then I went over there uh, shortly after the recession and you could drop a pin and hear it land. Uh, and, and and that business subsequently was sold. It got mm. into real mm. financial financial difficulties. I, I remember that that Friday we had everyone in the office for a our Friday get together, and I you know remember <clears throat> you know saying to people, guys, look out of the window. Um, you know the world hasn't stopped going round. Uh, think about your clients. Think about how you can help them. Work together as a team. Mm. Mm. Keep focused. Don't get distracted. Don't let all this talk of doom and gloom get on top of you. Very good advice. Just keep on. And, and I think all of that allowed us to, to basically go through that recession and come out of it much, much stronger. Um, I think the, the, the final thing is, is if you think you're up against an immovable object, then, then I think find a way around it. Yeah, yeah. Very um, because if you keep butting up against things it's not good for you you break and, yourself and it, and it probably won't change and i think if you do get broken then you're you're not going to recover very easily yeah <coughs> that old stoke saying the only thing around here you can change is your thoughts and your own actions and, and what would be your final top tip that you'd leave people with um well, well i think it's uh, it's kind of what you can learn from the the, the young yeah and, and i think um it's a really uh exciting leadership environment. I think the young are going to play a really big part in moving the agenda forward. I think they've, they've got an innate uh, understanding about issues, which I think it's much harder to have when you're, dare I say, a little bit older. Yeah. Do you do reverse and, and mentoring with people? Where you get the younger ones to, to mentor the older ones? Yeah, well, I, I, what, I, what, I, what I do like is proper 360 that yeah. comes from everywhere. And uh, in my last business, I used to get uh, one of our HR team to collect it all in for me. Yeah. And then we'd sit down and discuss comment by comment and where there was anything I wasn't sure about, I'd get them to go back to the person who said it. And ultimately, if that person was happy, I'd have a cup of coffee with them and, 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 and talk about it. And many were. So, so that I found That's really, very good. really rich and very, very, you know, very, very rewarding. And yeah. I think it... It does um, help you understand what people think about you, and it also helps you really understand where you know you are going wrong, yeah. and, and, and you need to do something different. I think that's very true. 
Chris, very wise words and great stories and experiences to share. Good luck with your new business. I'm sure you'll do just as well as you had done with Boxwood and KBMG. And thank you for sharing uh, your insights. Much appreciated. Thanks. Okay, thank you. So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you gonna do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. <music>